Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interested in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. Well, you know, it's hard to believe that we are already halfway through Foster Care Awareness Month. You know, it comes to a little bittersweet for me. You know, I always think the fact that, you know, we all need to be thinking about foster care every single day. How do we improve it? How do we make it stronger? How do we support the most vulnerable kids who are actually in a system because of a choice that someone else made? You know, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm not happy that there is one month that is put on the calendar. But what I hope people walk away from with this month is how much change we are seeing within our foster care system. I am absolutely honored to have my next guest on. You know, Lisa actually is the first time she's been on our show. But my friend Janice has been on my show several times. I consider her one of my dearest friends. I remember when I started our organization 10 years ago, she was one of my first mentors. And I have somebody that I look up to. She is the founder and the CEO of Adoptions Together. You do not know how many times I have told people to look up the Heart Gallery, how many times I have sent people to Adoptions Together because they do exactly what they do. So ladies, welcome to Fostering Change. Thanks for having us. It's such a gift to be back with you, Rob. Oh, I love, just love talking with you. You know, and I have to tell you, though, Janice, I have had the most unbelievable pouring of people calling me and saying, talking about adoption recently. And it's just, you know, and I know it's because it's been so relevant in our news and it's been relevant, but, you know, I, I constantly, um, you know, I talk about the fact that, you know, my husband and I in 2019, we adopted an 18 year old um, and, you know, adopting an older child is, is, you know, to me, it's just, I don't know. It's just something. I mean, I adopted babies. We had our four kids when they were young, but adopting older children. Before we get start really talking, and there's a lot I want to talk about, I'd like for you to tell our audience, our viewers, and our listeners exactly what is the Heart Gallery. Certainly, the Heart Gallery is a photo exhibit of children who are waiting to be adopted. And there's actually many different Heart Galleries around the country. And our specific Heart Gallery and Adoptions Together, which you can find on our website at adoptionstogether.org, is waiting are waiting children in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. So it's regional. Um, we're really fortunate right now to have Melissa Molay from uh, NBC doing a monthly segment where she's interviewing each one of our kids and bringing them alive. These are all kids who need nothing but a family to embrace them and make them their own. 
Yeah, you know, I'd absolutely love that. And by the way, I did see the series this weekend. And I'm going to have to say this as it is, as you know me, I'm a man of a few words when it comes to how I feel. My friend Barbara Harrison, who has been my friend for many years, I actually write about her in my memoir. She started Wednesday's Child 30 years ago, right here in the District of Columbia. She started Wednesday's Child to highlight children who were in our system who needed a forever family. That particular program, Wednesday's Child, has now been in every state. And I actually spoke to Barbara over the weekend. And I talked to Barbara because it was, I wanted her to know how the next generation is moving. And again, I I have to bring it up because that program that you are supporting and that Melissa's doing, and I love Melissa, never would have happened if it wasn't for the amazing, amazing woman called Barbara Harrison. And so I just need to throw that out there because she is she is, she started it. And so, you know, and she's gotten so many children, so many forever families. So I love that. And by the way, I did watch the program over the weekend. My husband watched the program over the weekend. And for us, it was a little, um, it almost was like the, the point. So, so when 15 years ago, when we were sitting in the District of Columbia, Reese and I in our brownstone, and we're talking about being parents, it was a Saturday morning, and we were watching NBC. And the next thing you know, Barbara Harrison comes on with the Wednesday's Child episode. So as I was sitting there on Saturday morning, and I was watching NBC, drinking my coffee with my husband, and all of a sudden, Melissa comes on. And it was just like, I looked at my husband, because that girl, oh, Uh, oh oh my gosh, I fell in love. I fell in, and you know the thing I have to tell you that I fell in love is when she made the comment, she says, if I'm not the child for you, I hope that you pick one of the other children who need a, how, I mean, the unselfishness of this young girl who has been put in a situation, you know, which leads us to talk, let's talk about it, the trauma, okay, the trauma, you know, so Lisa, you're a social worker as well, is that correct? Yes, I am. So, so you've been doing this for, you know, how many years? Um, more than I'd like to say, but okay. uh, probably so that's about, perfectly fine. about 25 years. And well, you look amazing. You look amazing. You. So, <laughs> you know, the reason I ask that question is because you truly have seen it. You know the trauma that these children come into. And I think one of the big stigmas that we have when it comes to children who are who have come into the foster care system is the fact that they've done something wrong or they're damaged goods or, you know, they have behavioral issues that cannot be corrected. What would you say to our viewers and our listeners about these myths? Well, I think it's so important to really understand, as you've already said, Rob, that these these children come into the system through no fault of their own. They didn't ask to be removed from their homes. They've been in circumstances that many of us can't imagine. And they have connections to their first family and they love their first family and their communities. And that there's so much about loss that's not just about losing people, but you lose your community. You lose sometimes your school. I know, you know, in Maryland, they're working hard hard that that doesn't happen as much anymore. You lose pets, you lose familiarity. And so there are so many layers of that 
of that loss. And for, for folks to really understand behavior as communication, that things that we see as, you know, negative behavior or defiance or obstinance, you know, it's, it's, it's survival. It's a way to cope. And so really helping folks to understand behavior as communication um, and really understanding what's behind the behavior. And so it's not about fixing behavior. It's not about changing behavior even. It's really about allowing children to grieve, allowing children to really um, be able to express their loss and their anger. You know, I've said to so many kids over the years, like, it's okay to be angry. You have every reason to be angry. It's not okay to punch a hole in the wall, but how can we help you, you know, help you figure out other ways? And so it's these really kind of, you know, creative coping strategies that kids have learned to be able to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you 100% on that. And I love the fact, you know, most of us will never experience this and I hope they don't, but, you know, and we never know when it's going to come out, by the way, you know, I've adopted five children, you know, and no matter what age you adopt them at, you never know what's going to trigger them to get them to that point where they need to start that grieving process. You know, Janice, the one of the things that I, I've, I've said throughout the years, and I still say this to people, is, you know, when you adopt out of foster care, and, you know, that was not my first goal, by the way. My husband, it was my husband, who, by the way, has nothing to do with foster care, grew up with the most traditional family there is. It was myself that had the roots to foster care. I was didn't want it because I was like, as I said, knew about those kids and I was one of those kids. But, you know, Janice, the thing that still really, really bothers me as I travel the country now as a public speaker and I speak to so many foster parents and parents who have adopted out of foster care, there's no support. There, there's there's just no support. I mean, I and we've seen that in our own family where, you know, after the adoption was signed, it was like, okay, you know, you're you're done. And it's like, I just feel like that's another break within our system. And what do you think about that? And I think that it's absolutely critical. So when I started adoptions together back in 1990. You know, in addition to welcoming every child who is in need of a family and every family who is interested in adopting who is mature and stable and, you know, not looking at any single variable like sexual orientation, single, married, religion, those types of things, race, gender expression, those kinds of things, we really concerned about what happens afterwards. You know, adoption is a one-time legal process with lifelong implications. So really looking at like once, you know, once we adopt a child, people say it's so hard to adopt a child. Yeah, that's an arduous process, but the hard work really comes in when we have to raise them and we have to raise ourselves and we have to be parents and we have to show up. Support is critical. So we started back in the early 90s really examining what are the critical components that adoptive families need and developed adoption competent techniques and tools and a whole framework um, and have been offering counseling, parent coaching, psycho-ed, training, educational programs really since that time. We're really fortunate in Maryland now that there's a contract that um, Adoptions Together has with the state of Maryland that we can offer free counseling services to any adoptive family um, in the state of Maryland. We also have a similar contract in the District of Columbia um, where we offer counseling services for families. And then there's plenty of, you know, 
in, in our region where we have more services probably than any other region in the country, and we need more, and families need to know more. And we've got parent support groups, but we need, you know, as adoptive parents, and I also am an adoptive parent of a child who was older uh, when we adopted her, and we needed extra support, and we needed families that understood us, and we needed professionals who understood us, and that really had, could take a whole competent, culturally competent framework to our families. You know, didn't judge our kids' behaviors, didn't judge us for feeling the way that we were judging, but really help our therapists that understand what's behind the behavior and the feelings of adoptive families. So I'm with you, Rob. It is critical. Absolutely. Yeah, I find, I you know, even though, you know, hearing you say all that you have, and I'm so excited to hear about the contract with Maryland and the District of Columbia, what I'm hearing, though, and, and I'm hearing this in my state, I'm in Maryland, and I'm hearing this throughout the the, the country is the fact that we're not educating our foster parents and our adopted parents that these these services even exist. You know, I mean, I yesterday was at an event in the District of Columbia, and I was talking about how children who are in foster care that have Medicaid actually get free memberships to boys and girls clubs throughout the United States. And literally, I had social workers looking at me like, are you serious? Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm a layman. I mean, I'm a banker. You're telling me that I knew this, that I knew that if you have a child in the system with Medicaid, that that child immediately gets a free membership to the Boys and Girls Club, which, by the way, is amazing, um, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Um, But they didn't know that. And so, so it goes back to the fact that you can have these amazing, amazing services, but if we're not getting the information to who needs to have the information, how good is our service? That's right. I mean, you know, one thing I love about you, Rob, is your ability to get information out there, your ability to reach out to the world and say, look, world, these things are going on. We need you to step up. So you know, we do our absolute best to get the word out there and we can do even better because we want to make sure that every family in the community knows that these services are available. Yeah, I love that. Like I said, I, I truly do believe that if if we were to educate our communities more about these services, um, we could see an uptick when it comes to adoptions of children out of the foster care system. I really do believe that, you know, because I, I you know, we we know as a national average the average foster parent only lasts 18 months. And the burnout ratio is based on non-support is what they're saying. Um, And the fact is, is that, you know, we're seeing, we would like to see more kids being adopted, but, you know, at the same time, I'm concerned about the number of kids who are being adopted, who are now coming back into the system. Yeah, and it's a problem. And it's a problem. Lisa, what, what, and sorry, Janice, I didn't mean to cut you off about that, but Lisa, I'd like to, you know, talk about those boomerang kids. Um, and that's what I call them. These are kids who have been adopted out of the system. And, you know, and again, I truly believe it's because of non-support. The adopted parents, they're, they're, you know, putting the kids back in the system, you know, because they can't handle them. You know, what can we do as a society to make this stop? I mean, this has got to stop. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's a huge problem. And in, and in terms of, you know, helping foster parents and resource parents really get the support they need on the front end as they move towards finalization um, and really having that partnership, I think, within child welfare, because I think sometimes, you know, there's this there's this urgency to commit. And I think sometimes people commit before they know what they're committing to. And then they don't realize, as you know, you and Janice both highlighted, the services that are there to support. And so I think for us, it's kind of that journey. So I think really front-loading support on the front end, so before a finalization even occurs, so that both the, the children and the families really understand what they need to thrive. Because I think we know that healing really occurs in the context of relationship, and love is not just a panacea and gonna solve it all. And I think so many folks go into this thinking, you know, if I just love on this child and if I just give them everything that they need, it will be fine. And we know that relationships are the key to healing and we know it's more complex than that. So really on the front end, while kids are still in care, really doing that work around trauma and loss and grief. And as Janice mentioned, that psychoeducation piece, we have a partnership with Baltimore City DSS that and, you know, families before finalization, they need to come to us for at least three sessions to really do some of this work. And so how could we standardize that nationally that, you know, before anyone adopts that they get connected to some services to do that work. So they know that they can do that work before finalization and then have that connection after finalization. Because oh we know I some, love that. yeah. I yeah, love I mean, that. that. I think be... that that should be a, I mean, especially when you're looking at the fact, like for, for my family, we did an interracial adoption. And so, you know, there's so many facets when it comes to children and, and, and your new parents. And, you know, and as I say, I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, they have a life book that, you know, and we weren't the beginning of it. And so, you know, and I think that's important for us to acknowledge, you know, Janice, I have to tell you, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. I do believe that the issue that I see is that I wish that we could duplicate this because that, you know, as you know, I used to be in the little DMV bubble where everything was about the DMV. And as I spread my wings and I started going to other states and I started looking and watching child welfare systems in other states and how other states are doing it, I am still just so shocked at the fact of how different every single state is doing it. It's just like, I mean, there's it, there's got to be somebody out there, you know, who is saying, you know, we're as close as getting this right as we can get it. And I'm not saying this for the state of Maryland because I live here, but what I will say is that we were the very first state that ever, ever set up a interest-bearing savings account for a child in the foster care system who was getting social security, the very first state to do that. We were the very first state to make sure that continuing education was something that was supported among children. We were the very first state to be able to offer what you're saying that we are able to offer when it comes to the therapy that is needed. What, what else do you think that we need to do, Janice? You know, I think it's a really interesting point about the difference that we see across the country. And there's actually federal legislation, I mean, federal guidance that, def that defines child abuse and neglect, but then it's different within different states, you know, in terms of what actually gets a child removed versus what gets a family services. 
and how children move through the system. You know, we find this this in child welfare. We find this in education and many other systems across the country that we're fed, we have federal guidance, but then state implementation. You know, we do have a good, really strong leadership now in our federal arm with um, Rebecca um, Gaston Jones, who who's our our leader. She's somebody that that um, has lived experience. Uh, she's somebody who started her career at Adoptions Together. And, you know, we know her, we, we love her, we respect her. She's somebody who's really got her eye on the prize of understanding what good quality service is. We've got to, it, so it, it starts on the federal level, but the state levels, we also have a fabulous attorney general here in the state of Maryland now, Anthony Brown, who's a tremendous advocate for getting children into permanent families. And he's really looking at the practice around it because there's many things we can do differently within the system to move children towards uh, permanency more effectively. I actually serve on a state work group where we're studying this issue, looking at practice and looking at what we can do differently to get kids both, both through the system and which means either getting supporting those first families so they can go back to their parents by having more services on the front end. And then if that's not possible, it's not possible to keep them with family or kin to get them into a permanent adoptive family. So there's, I mean, there's a lot more, Rob, that needs to be done. We we don't have it right. I've been in the field for about 35 or more years. And I see a lot of these issues sort of circulating around and around. We haven't figured it out. We haven't figured it out. And we're making some progress. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if moving the needle just a little is better than not moving the needle at all. And, and to me, I think that that is very, very important. You know, this is a special month for us. This is, you know, a month that, you know, we celebrate, but a month that, you know, and for some of us who, you know, have the live experience, it's a little bittersweet. You know, I believe that every single child deserves to stay with their birth parents, but I believe that every single child cannot do that. But I also believe that we as a system are so shattered that we're not looking through that shattered glass to realize that kids are sitting in the system way too long. You know, I'm a firm believer that every single person falls. We have all fallen within our life and we all need our community to help lift us up. I truly do believe that. But I do believe the fact that you have to lift yourself up. And I think children should not sit on the sidelines and watch adults try to play a game that they're not playing properly. And I think that after a year of a child sitting in the system, it's time to move on. How do you feel about that, Lisa? I think it's so complicated. You know, foster care is not meant to be a permanent situation. It's supposed to, it's a, it's, there's a need for it, but it's supposed to be temporary. And living in that ambiguity isn't good for kids. Kids need permanency. They need stability. They need to know what to expect. And they need to have a voice, you know, when it's appropriate. And I think you mentioned that, Rob, in terms of all these adults, you know, making decisions and dancing around and, you know, making really important decisions on behalf of a child. So we definitely want to allow enough time for kids to go back to first family, if that's ever possible. Um, and we know that 
kids need permanency um, and it needs to be done in a way where kids aren't languishing in care and because it, it's not good for kids. And so I think, as Janice said, you know, there are, there are these larger systemic issues that we need to be looking at as well. And there are guidelines around, you know, how long kids are supposed to be in care and the steps that need to happen. And we know that things often get get dragged on longer than they they should for lots of different reasons. And I think really keeping the best interest of the child in the kind of in the as the guiding North Star to the decisions that are being made. Um, and sometimes that's not possible. And I think the child welfare teams have really, really difficult decisions to be made. And I think the more they understand the impact of trauma, you know, I've found in my career that, you know, that that piece is really important is really working with child welfare to really help them understand, you know, what's the impact on this child um, and how is them languishing in care serving them? And it's hard and it's complicated. And I feel for those those systems that are either I've seen both things happen where they try to move things along too quickly because they have this deadline and they have these mandates and they may have a a resource family that really cares for this child, but really shouldn't be a permanent resource. And then I've seen kids languish when there is, you know, a really strong permanent resource that's identified and for lots of different reasons that can't. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. Listen, ladies, um, what an amazing conversation. I love to tell you, I didn't even take a break. And normally I take a break and I didn't because I just, I was just so intrigued with our conversation today. Listen, everyone, you know, we all have an opportunity. It doesn't have to be the month of May. It can be the month of April. It can be the month of September. You know, the fact is, is that when you start really looking at what is our future, you have to look at our children who are in our foster care system. Because right now, as we hover around that 450,000 number, these children, whether we realize it or not, they are our leaders of tomorrow. They are our leaders of tomorrow. And the way that we're going to make tomorrow brighter is that we invest in them today. We invest in them today. So do me a big favor. Go to adoptionstogether.org. I know I have a lot of ask all the time, but these are the things that I really want you to do. I want you to go to this organization, and I really want you to really think about how you can help. Maybe you're not ready to adopt, but guess what? You can donate. You can donate. Because the fact is, is that this organization, where my friend Janice has started over 30 years ago, has been around because of people that are watching and listening today that have stepped up, who have helped move the needle. And we continue to do that. But we all know it takes funding to do that. And so what I'm asking you all to do for me, you know, personally from Rob Shear, is to go to adoptionstogether.org and make a donation. Lisa, thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Janice, you know, my heart is always full when I see you. So I am so lucky that you are in my life. I am so lucky that, you know, I, I, like I said, I am, I am the luckiest man to be able to call you my friend. So thank you for that. Ladies, enjoy the last part of our National Foster Care Awareness Month. And I hope each and every one of you have learned something from this episode, because I know I truly have. With another episode of Fostering Change, until we meet again, continue to be a good human. Take care, everyone. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. 
all of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I wanna give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.